Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I have Justin Bariso on with me today. He is an author of EQ Applied. He's a speaker, consultant, and one of Inc.com's most popular columnists. His thoughts on leadership, management, and emotional intelligence have been featured by Time, CNBC, and Forbes, among others. He has been recognized repeatedly by LinkedIn as a top voice in management and workplace culture. Raised in a multicultural environment, Justin learned to see the world through different set of eyes. He was fascinated by the way a single news report could inspire very different emotional reactions in others based on factors like their age, background, and upbringing. After spending a decade in management for a major nonprofit, he moved to Europe and began his own consulting agency where he worked with a wide range of companies from small businesses to Fortune 500s. Today, I love this about him, Justin focuses on helping others harness the power of emotion for good. Welcome, Justin. Wow, thank you so much, Tiffany. That I think that is the best introduction I've ever had. I work hard at it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm pretty you know, like people all the time are like, Oh, can I have your bio? And I'm like, Oh God, don't read my bio. Like, you know, <laughs> try to come up with something that's a little more personal. And I think yours is just wonderful on so many levels, right? It just it gives a window into why you do what you do and what inspires you. So I, I'm thrilled to have you. Well, thank you. I am very happy to be here. So we start this off with something I call bullish and bearish, and it's nothing too painful. I ask three very quick questions. Bullish is you're really for it. Bearish is you're against it. And in all fairness and transparency, my listeners know this, rarely does someone just give me a straight answer. Like <laughs> it ends okay. up going somewhere in between, but <laughs> not, nothing too painful, but it's just a fun way to sort of get the juices flowing. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I took it as a challenge. I'm, I'm gonna try to be. I'm gonna try to to go bullish or bearish. We'll see how I do. Okay, um, then I'll hit you with the hard one first. All right, you ready? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first one: robots will become emotional beings. Hmm. See. Mm hmm. You put your pressure on yourself. <laughs> bullish. Okay. All right. It's okay. We'll get into it a little bit. I'd love to hear what you think there, right? I'm I'm kind of mixed on it myself, but yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. The next one, you can control your emotional reactions. Oh yeah, okay, that's a hard one. Um okay, no, bullish. Bullish. Okay. I knew you were going to go bullish. I was like, "Really? Is he kidding?" <laughs> I hope you were kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and the third is that, uh, you know, emotions can create movements that can change the world. Oh, bullish for sure. Yeah. I, I get, I get, I didn't know what you would say on the robots. I thought you'd give me a bearish on that one and too bullish, but I I'm, I'm so let's start with the robots can be emotional beings. So what do you think? What, what you really, you, I know that that was kind of a little bit out of left field and you had to think about it a second, but yeah. You know, what, what was going through your mind when I asked the question? It's a great question. And to be honest with you, I can't say I've never thought about it before, but it's been some time um, since I've thought about it. So, okay. So the, the thought process was, you know, 
where we are right now with AI and what we're because I mean in the last two to three years we've made strides right and to see um, what robots and and AI are doing right now I mean I, I'm coming across stuff almost every day across my my LinkedIn feed or um, I don't do Facebook by the way so that's that's why it's always LinkedIn and um, and just on the news and you see how they're trying to get robots to imitate emotional behavior and to represent emotional behavior but of course your question is much different will they actually have emotional behavior and obviously it's it's hard to answer that right now but i just think um i think the the rate of progress and what they're teaching artificial intelligence to do um i think it's definitely possible now the the caveat to that is and that was the next question that was going through my head in those milliseconds in a row is what is, how do we define emotional behavior, right? Because emotions are very, very um, abstract, uh, difficult concepts to, to define. So I think it would take me some time to really wrap my head around, you know, would that be different for a robot or or that kind of thing? I think this might even be the subject of uh, my next book. Man, thank you. Yeah, you know, well, so what's interesting is I've seen a lot of, you know, you could just put a little, you know, hashtag on the back that inspired of by course. this conversation. Of course. But yeah, but, but uh, uh, there was, you know, you see a lot now online with how robots are starting to do mo movements that are very human-like, yes. right? Moving sideways. Um, was a big thing, which is so interesting, right? When you think about it. Um, but there was one robot uh, that had uh, l learned how to dance. Mm. So here, you know, to the music. So watching, you know, it was really machine learning, right? Watching yeah. all these dances, watching all these dances, watching all these dances, and then ended up dancing in air quotes with, uh, I don't know if it was a his or a her, the mm. robot. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> you know, developer, parent, I don't know what they're called, right? So the in, right, in robot right. nomenclature, I've way stepped on being politically incorrect. However, I think, let's call it an it. And I, the person let's, who let's built him it. or built it is, I don't know what it's called, right? The developer, right? Uh, right. Uh, anyway, and, you know, obviously very awkward. It's a machine. It looks like it's a robot that would be loading packages at Amazon, but it doesn't matter. It was mm. in the whole fun adventure of it, you know, or even painting, uh, or con or writing um, musicals or operas, right? Listening to a lot of things, and but it's very flat. So that's why the emotional question, right? You wonder, um, will they, you know, decisions of yes and no, uh, black and white, right, right and wrong. Um, you know, they go through a decision, but we as humans, and you know better than than I do, we make emotionally based decisions. Uh, more than anything else. And for the listeners, the, the the way I found Justin is I actually started reading his content, uh, a lot of it from Inc. And, and online. And I really enjoyed what he put out and how it was like, you know, here's one thing you can do. Here's two things you can do. And they were all very simple and actionable. And so, you know, I'd love for you to start uh, for our listeners, kind of what what drove you to EQ Applied and kind of what you've learned um, and and then also some of the the you know the hacks, if you will, that people can do to um, really think differently about developing the emotional sides of themselves. Sure, yeah. So, okay, what drove me? Well, I, I have a little bit of a different background. So I worked um, for a number of years, as you said, beginning the show for for a nonprofit, and it was very mission oriented, very um, mission based. We got a lot of training in. 
um, dealing with people. And I mean, that that's not necessarily so different, but um, yeah, a lot of, of training on showing empathy for others. And at the time I felt like this was very different from what many people were getting in the workplace. Um, and then the, the only, the main reason I, I left my job is we decided to move to Germany where my wife is from when we had kids, uh, because that was kind of unexpected. And so anyway, so that drove us back to Germany and, um, I started, I was actually looking for work at one point. I found myself, uh, out of work and not sure what I was going to do. And that's where I started working for myself. And what I used to do is I would consult with, um, German executives and help them, um, with their English communication. They're communicating with, um, international companies, but also, uh, ex other executives are speaking English. And, you know, from that is where we went to a lot of the, um, there was a lot of emotional miscues in the communication, you know, because Germans as a whole, they speak very good English, but their communication style is very different from Americans, for example, or, or even British, where Germans are very direct when they speak English. And um, what would happen a lot of times is their counterparts were uh, misunderstanding them in the sense of uh, they thought they were arrogant or um, they thought that they were uh, much too brash but this was just their communication style. It didn't have anything to do with their mindset or the way they viewed themselves or anything like that. So, you know, I drew on my own experience and the training I had gotten, and we started focusing a lot on on that in connection with the communication. And then, well, yeah. I, so I'm I'm going to jump in for just a second because I think I you know I've had a number of people on this podcast uh, in the past talk about thinking styles. Mm -hmm. So you introvert versus extrovert, you know, right. and being misunderstood that they don't talk. So they're not engaged and that's not what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. all of that. But what I think is really key to draw out of what you just said is when you think about diversity of teams, it isn't just about men and women it, it's in thinking style. But now we've just heard it's also about communication style, about where they're from also drives the way in which they communicate. So it isn't yeah. that they are being, you know, forceful or direct or rude or arrogant or whatever. It's just language wise, that's the way it translates for them. Exactly. Uh, and so, you know, really thinking about that when you think about, uh, you know, how people on your teams behave or engage, I think is really important. Fair? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I lived um, 13 years in New York. Okay. And when I came to New York, my first reaction was, man, people are really rude here. And then I learned after a few years no, people are just direct and quick. And, you know, you go ask a New Yorker on the street, you know, for help on something. Yeah, 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 what are you talking to? Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. What do you want? Okay, well, you do this and this and this, you know? And for many people, it's like, oh man, so rude. No, look, they don't have much time. Uh, they know you need to go where, where you, wherever you need to get to go. So they think in their mind, it's they're being very helpful. And you know, the longer you're in New York, you could testify like, you start talking like that too, you know? <laughs> so you're just, you're just influenced by everything, your environment, your upbringing, all those things. And, and so that, that makes a big difference. So, and then communication style, obviously, yeah. So, so anyway, so I was helping, uh, so, okay, so I started writing about this so that I'll make a long story short. I started writing about my experiences. That was a lifelong dream of mine to just, um, start, um, writing more. And I landed this column with ink.com. I made a connection with Jeff Hayden. I've talked about this in, um, uh, in, on, on LinkedIn, for example. So Jeff Hayden was one of ink's, uh, popular columnists and we just made a connection and, 
eventually I asked him straight up. This was after months, you know, and I was like, do you think I could write for Inc? And he's like, hey, I'll put your name forward. He liked my stuff. And um, and so I started writing for Inc. And I would write about these experiences, dealing with emotions, communication styles, how other people interpret you, how you in interpret others. And in that, I started researching a lot emotional intelligence. So I read all the authors on emotional intelligence. So what I found is um, it, it, there was a gap. So for example, Goleman, I love Goleman stuff. And um, he he's one of the founding fathers, right? Um, but I found that there wasn't, for me, that direct correlation to, okay, how does this relate to the real world? And how do I build my own emotional intelligence? And in addition to that, he, Goldman's a great storyteller, but he didn't share so much his personal story. You know, he was observing it more as that science journalist, because that's what his background was. So I said, I want to, I want to tell people what I've learned. I want to tell people the mistakes I've made. And, you know, even after studying this topic for years, the mistakes I still continue to make and, and where I need to, to focus on myself and grow and what do I need to think about. And that kind of goes into the second part of your question is how do you, um, help people to learn. And it all starts with, you know, that's the first part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. And that's something that's easy to put on paper. Yeah, I want to be more self-aware, but it's very, very hard to do because we are in our own little heads, our minds, and we see the world in this very um, many times, you know, this very narrow perspective and broadening that can be very difficult. Well, so I feel like lots of effort is put on training, learning, studying on the academic side for career advancement, right? You know, I want to become, you know, something else. So I'm going to go take a finance class or I want to be better at this. So I'm going to go take a, you know, take HR continuing education classes or mm -hmm. it's very kind of academic driven. But what you've just outlined is this, the emotional side of, uh, improving your own performance and working with teams and understanding others. <clears throat> and I know you spend quite a bit of time looking at the emotional decisions and small things people do that are in very big leadership positions. Uh, and so how can, you know, those of us listening to this podcast say, you know, I I'm actually going to make it's an effort to try to improve the emotional side of my leadership or the emotional side of my team uh, or even the emotional side of my own personal development. Sure. So the first thing I'd say that nobody, you know, gets it wrong is um, we don't want to take emotions out of the equation, right? We're emotional creatures. That's what makes us human. Emotions are good things. We're glad that we feel emotions and they can be very motivating. Even what we refer to as negative emotions, sadness. Sadness can be very motivating because it tells us, okay, something's wrong here. Or anger, you know, something's wrong here. I have to do something about this situation. Um, but it's all about learning how to process those emotions. And what I, what I, the catchphrase that I've kind of adopted and, and use often is, Emotional intelligence is about making emotions work for you instead of against you. So we're going to have the emotions. It's not about taking the emotions out. It's about how can I make those emotions work for me in a positive way. Um, and it, it all comes back to, you know, what you said a few minutes ago, which is we tend to make very emotional decisions. Um, and that's not necessarily bad. It depends on the situation and the context. But what's bad is when we make emotional decisions that we regret because they're not who we are. How many times have we, I mean, lately, right? How many stories do you read? Somebody does something, they misbehave. And then what's the first thing they say? Um, that is not me. 
or uh, that does not represent who I am. In reality, okay, so you feel that way, why? Because most of the time, maybe that's not you, but in that emotional moment, that is you, right? So it, a lot of it, and what I encourage readers to do is to examine their own emotional behavior, especially the things that um, they regret, because that can help you to see, okay, well, where are your values and your principles? And then if, if you regret something later, that means that what you did was not in line with those values and principles. And so the key is, especially after um, an emotional behavior that, that, again, that you regret. So let's say you send an angry email or um, you a driver cuts you off and you take, you know, you engage in risky behavior, you know, trying to, to uh, what's it called? Um, road rage, right? Um, and then you come back and say, man, why did I do that? I should not have done that. So that's one key is when you, when you identify those things that, are, that you don't want to do, many times what do we do? We just we say, oh, man, I shouldn't do that. And then we go on with our lives. And then the next day we do the same thing again. And the next day and the next day or the next week. So what I encourage readers to do, evaluate when you do those things. Take time, you know, whether it's that evening, the next day, buy out time and say, why did I react the way I did? That's the beginning of it. And um, how would I react differently if this happened to me again? Um, if it's an angry email, uh, we've all done it, right? You say, why did I send that email? I wish I could have that email back. Okay, so the next time you start writing that email, stop yourself. And here's where one of the hacks that, that you asked for. I call it the pause. It's very simple. Pause, stop yourself before you say or do what you're about to do. Um, and that sounds very easy, right? But it's not because we often take those actions without stopping and thinking first. So before you send that angry email, stop and wait, whether it's half an hour or a day, you know, depending on circumstances. And then you come back and you read it again. Oh man, there's no way I can send this email. What was I thinking? You know, and already that little hack has caused you now not to take an action that later you would regret. I tell you that that, that piece of advice, I don't even remember when I got it, where I got it, but it had to be 10 plus years ago. Uh, and, and it completely changed the, can I get that email back? <laughs> Panic. Uh, exactly. And, and exactly. sometimes now I not only will pause because if you step away literally and you come back, you go, oh yeah, I don't want to say that. Like you, you end up self-correcting yourself because you're, you're kind of in the heat of your brain just being, um, you know, whatever you're choosing to write. Uh, but I, I have right. actually taken it one step further and written the email and just never sent it. <laughs> because I felt like I said it mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you just delete yeah. it. And then, so not only I took the pause one step further and just said, <laughs> I'm just going to not ever send it. No, I totally agree. And I've done the same thing. And I, I was reading somewhere. I don't remember if it was Lincoln. One of the, one of the presidents had a reputation for doing that. And they, I mean, not emails, of course, but they found uh, uh, an, uh, a drawer full of unsent letters that he had written and I think that's a great practice because it allows you, it's a little bit cathartic, right? You, you, you're able to, to get those emotions out. But then nine times out of 10, you come back and you read that later. And it's like, oh, no, it's definitely not. I do not want to send this or I, I do not want someone to read this. Yeah. And I think it's really, especially as uh, social media and just all of the ways we can communicate, you know, I, I yeah. We could even use this as a funny example, but like autocorrect on text messaging. <laughs> You're like, okay, that's not mm -hmm. what I meant to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now we've just become yeah, okay yeah. with it not being right. You know, like that now you're yeah. able to decipher 
the text message nomenclature. So not only the, you know, not only exactly. the abbreviations of an entire thought, but the fact that, okay, it must've been autocorrect, you know, and, and, and how many times you exactly. send a text and then you come back and you just change two words, not going to, instead of I'm going to, right. Yeah. You're like, not going to. So now you're saying to someone, okay, go back to what I wrote you. And, and apply the <laughs> I'm going to, to the fact that I said I'm not going to, or vice versa, right? And so we've now become, uh, you know, very comfortable with this rapid fire communication um, with very little emotion. I mean, one thing about email that always bothers me when you send it, and, mm. and maybe it's correct constructive criticism, maybe it's you're giving someone some coaching, is that email, email has no emotion, right? And text message right. has no emotion. And so emojis are almost a way that you make something, you know, more emotionally light. But I think how can, I guess this is a question for me to you, like, you know, because it has no emotion, is it better that those kinds of conversations don't happen in an email or in written that it really does happen uh, person to person, if not face to face, but over the phone? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm a big fan of, I'd say even myself, I make this mistake that, um, I've made this mistake where I've written where I should have called or or set up a face-to-face -face meeting. And that's one thing I've I've learned and and have tried to work on, but I still make this mistake from time to time. But I, I think nine times out of ten, a conversation is better to be had in person or over the phone for the exact reasons that you that you just named. Um, and to to speak on emojis for a minute, I I am one of the few, at least in the business world, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say I'm one of the few people that actually recommend using them with a caveat. And I'll speak to that in a second. But yeah, it, it's so hard to communicate emotion. Now, the great um, thing is that the younger generations are totally used to this. So it's totally accepted to send an emoji, well, surely in a text message, but even in an email. And that's the only way you have, like you say something that could be taken and, and even that, you, you say something that could take in, you know, three, three different ways. And even then it's hard with an emoji because it could still be, okay, well, are they joking? Are they being sarcastic? You know, but at least it's helpful. Um, but without that, you know, and, and that's the caveat is it depends on who your audience is, because if you're speaking to, if you're writing to um, someone that's, you know, that's not in that generation. So, you know, talking boomers and in many cases, even uh, later gen X, what is their, um, perspective for many of them it's that it's very unprofessional to use this in an email you know something like this so you have to be careful but um, and that's why uh, I always say okay have the conversation face-to-face -face if you can because you've got the tone of voice you've got the facial expression you can read the other person's facial expression so if you see they're taking it the wrong way you know you can explain yourself and through writing and text messaging you know you don't have that and like you said you know we've adapted now where we got in the point where, okay, well, they must have met this or, you know, but now you're just even expanding exponentially the potential for miscommunication. It's crazy. Well, and I think now with um, everything that's happening around the sort of the Me Too movement, is it misinterpreted in a way that really was not the intention? Do you, you right. know what I'm saying? Like, oh, big time. You had a bad day and you go, I really care about you, taken out of context. It's right. right? And so yeah. I, I definitely find myself now not saying certain things or saying certain things differently. Like I'm really well aware of, of what I, what I say and, and in, in those situations, 
where it could just be, you know, two friends or, you know, at work colleagues where, you know, you, you, your friends, uh, that now in the written word, <laughs> you're just right. much more aware. Definitely. And communication is constantly evolving, right? Like, uh, a lot of a lot has been made recently. You know, the, or the media will dig up old tweets of a comedian, or um, you know, things that are on record, and a comedian or, or whoever will say is like, "Well, that was a different time," you know. So I spoke in a different way, and that's the problem with written communication. It's all on record, and you don't know the context. You don't know. No one pays attention to the time frame. You know, we dig up a tweet or an email from. 15, well, okay, there's no tweets 15 years ago. But let's say an email from 15 years ago, and we say, what was this person thinking? But we don't know the context around it. It was a completely different world 15 years ago. So you could say something, and it wouldn't be misinterpreted or wouldn't be interpreted in a certain way, whereas you read that today, and you say, oh, my goodness, what is wrong with this person? You know. And so that's, that's the other reason I'm all for face-to-face <laughs> -face communication as much as possible. Um, Olivia Nutzi, I'm hoping I, I pronounce her name right. She's a journalist, and she wrote something by tweet uh, a couple years ago. What, what, how did she say it? Um, dance as if nobody's watching. Write an email as if it will one day be in a deposition. <laughs> that's not even funny, but it's funny, right? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. great. But, but I would say to you that going back to sort of why I wanted to have you on and your book and sort of what you focus on is everything we've just been talking about requires a certain level of personal understanding of your own emotional journey. Right. This is yes. yeah. how I communicate, how people perceive me. Like if I said something, me personally, Tiffany Boba, if I said something that might be viewed as inappropriate, someone would go, it's so not her. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't view it that way. Right. Right. Which then means my persona is one that does not sort of sit on uh, the side of the, of the conversation that would not be appropriate. And so it, it's out of character. So then someone gives me the benefit of the doubt that that's not what I meant. Right. And so if you tend to sit on the other side and you say something, it's like, well, of course. And so really being aware of your, your own emotional development and, and kind of do a self-assessment. So as we wrap this up, what would you say are the short things or a couple of things that people can do to just understand kind of their own emotional journey around some of these topics, communication styles, working with others, uh, you know, everything we've been discussing. What are some things that you can do uh, as an individual to inventory your own journey? Yeah, definitely. So um, one thing is to get the perspective of others, because no matter how much we um, take time to, to think about things and to examine our own, you know, communication style, our own emotional style, um, we're still limited by our own perspective, by our own experiences and biases. So try to get the perspective from others. So at work, it means sometimes asking feedback from people that you trust because we're all busy. And um, hopefully, you know, many, many workers hopefully are, are, are getting the feedback uh, that they need. But in reality, it's not the case. Most aren't. So ask, find a mentor and get feedback from what they see, you know, and ask them, how would you describe the way I, I respond emotionally? Am I quick to respond to things? Um, do, do you feel like I respond out of anger? Do you feel like um, I, I'm dependable? You know, there's a, there's a whole list of questions. I talk about some of the stuff in the book that you can 
both ask yourself, but especially to ask others, because we're limited in in the way we view ourselves. If you're married or if you have, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, ask them their perspective. And and you want honest answers here. The, the thing is, and that's why it needs to be people that you, you can trust, because you have to have these very honest conversations. Um, but you have to ask those questions so that you can start to see yourself also the way that others see you. And the reality is the the true answer of who I am and how I react is going to be somewhere in the middle, you know, because you see things, you know, things that about yourself that others don't know. Um, but it's going to be closer to what these other people tell you because perception is reality, right? Even if we understand our motives for doing things or we think we do, how it actually comes out is the, how other people perceive it. And that that's going to affect, you know, how they come back now, how they respond to you. So getting the perspective of others, that's number one. And then number two is scheduling time to think. So we're constantly going from appointment to appointment, from meeting to meeting. I think everybody should have a certain amount of time, at least per day, if possible, if not, at least a couple days per week where you've blocked out that time, like it's a meeting, but it's just an appointment for yourself to sit back and think about your week. Look back and see, okay, where are the, where are the, what are the things I did this week that I regretted? Uh, what are the things that, I, that I've done that I feel really good about? And then go back and, and look at what led to those decisions. And especially when it comes down to those things that you regretted, look back and see, okay, what can I change? What can I do differently the next time? Well, I can tell you that I read a book by Sally Hogshead a number of years ago. Um, oh, big fan of Sally. Yeah, and and it and it really helped me shape what you just said, which I think many people spend time on what they think is their you know their style or what right. they think versus what other people think. And so I did this whole uh, analysis, basically, of like all the feedback I was getting on LinkedIn and an email from my speeches and from you know, engagements with clients or whatever. And I started taking note of the words used to describe the time with me. Right. So mm. whatever those words are. And and you know, it's since you're since you know Sally, right? I went, took the test. I'm a maestro. For those of you who haven't done it, it's really <laughs> fantastic. It, and it will mean something to you. But then I listed it and then I actually went back and I updated all of my bios and everything about me to use the words that mm. people did to describe me because what you think, you know, even now when I talk about stuff that I do, they're just like, I don't know who you're talking about because that's not who I see, you know? Right. And so exactly, that self-talk, yeah. you know, within your own head. And so it's all about this, uh, you know, believing in yourself and, and doing things. Sometimes, uh, you know, asking the question. The one thing I give as advice is if someone ever comes to you and asks your opinion, know that that's the most vulnerable a person can be. Hmm. Right to walk up yeah. to you and say, "Did I did did I do something right or wrong?" Right. That's about as vulnerable as someone someone can be. So, as the person being asked that question, that is where you really need to. That's where you don't rush through the answer. Exactly. You need to take a pause and think long and hard because if you don't handle that with the love and care that it needs to be done, I'm pretty sure they'll never ask again. <laughs> right. So you yeah. have to think about it's now. That their future of emotional development is in your hands, even if it's just no, no, it was fine. I totally understood. Like even if you don't have something profound to say, right? 
just and if you're going to give uh, feedback, then read Kim Scott's book Radical Candor before you do. Yes, yes. Um, but ultimately, I think that that's that's definitely part of the journey. Yeah, definitely. And what trust it takes for someone to come to you with that, right? And that's why I said when you go to someone that you have built that kind of trust with and you ask those kind of questions, think to yourself also what what makes this type of or what makes this person the type of person that I that I'm willing to put myself in that vulnerable position with. And you can learn from that too, because um, as you see the qualities that have drawn you to that person and, and what influences you to put you in that position, you know, then you can start to see how can I be that type of person that, that people will trust? Because if people aren't coming to you with those kind of questions, you know, people aren't trusting your feedback, then it means one of a couple of things. Either they don't um, feel that you're authentic enough that they can actually believe what you have to say to them, or two, then they're just not drawn to you because your communication style is not uh, something that they can they feel they can benefit from, and so you know that can help us also thinking about that and seeing how we can actually give people feedback that that's valuable to them. Well, Justin, this has been fantastic. I could have another cup of coffee with you. Apparently, <laughs> totally run out of time. Yes, but uh, you know, Anytime. thank you so much for coming on and and agreeing to be on the What's Next podcast. And maybe you can let our listeners know how they can find you and keep keep tabs on everything you're doing. So, how how can they keep up with your work? Sure. So, um, I publish uh, almost daily on LinkedIn. Just little short thoughts about uh, emotional intelligence and and tips on how to develop yours. And I publish weekly on Inc.com. So that's the digital version of Inc. Magazine. Um, and if you want a deeper dive, then you can check out my book, which is EQ Applied, The Real World Guide to Emotional Intelligence. And you can find that on Amazon or uh, anywhere else that books are sold. Well, fantastic. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on, Justin. Thank you so much for your time and joining us today on the What's Next podcast. Thank you again, Tiffany. I've enjoyed it. What a fun conversation with Justin. I think we spend so much time as well on my own podcast talking about the academic side of leadership and growth and marketing and sales. It was wonderful to have somebody come on and give us just a reality check on the fact that we need to invest on the emotional side of our interactions as humans with each other, both in the written word as well as in the spoken word and the power of Working on that for yourself is that those around you have a much better experience with you. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Justin. Please check out his work on Inc. Magazine and his book, EQ Applied, and make sure you keep in touch with him because I just think he's just an all-around great guy. So thank you for listening to the What's Next podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, and I look forward to having you join again next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.